The lesson is taken from St Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, verses 27 to 32. Adultery. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Divorce. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. This is the word of the Lord. It's great to be with you today at St Michael's Chester Square, although I'm not there and you're not there. I can only hope that one day we'll all meet again and worship together at St Michael's and we'll be able to see each other rather more clearly than we can today. The fact that I'm here again is due to Guy not only being an exceptionally delightful person, but an utterly smooth operator. Months ago, he asked whether this date would work for me, and I said yes, and put it in my diary. And then only a few weeks ago, he wrote to me with the title, Lust and Divorce, in just under 20 seconds. I realised then that Guy was a man who had enormous potential to make anyone do anything at all that he wanted them to. I hope that what I say this morning will not disappoint him. Well, lust and divorce, two enormous questions. But one thing that the Lord Jesus would want to emphasize right at the start of this morning is that with everything that is said and everything that there is in this subject, no one should end up feeling condemned or a failure as a Christian or a human being as a result of what we look at uh, today. Instead, Jesus wants us to be thrilled afresh by both the vision that God has for our lives and the fact that he understands completely how difficult being faithful to the call of his heavenly father can sometimes be. In the verses we heard read, A few moments ago, we're not given a list of rules to be kept under all circumstances, but an invitation to discover afresh the quality in human relationships that God had planned from the beginning and which the life and death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ has made possible for us. Therefore, whoever we are, and however we may have failed in the past, and all of us will have failed, the Lord Jesus Christ wants us above everything else to experience anew the presence of the Holy Spirit, bringing honesty, penitence, forgiveness, restoration, hope, 
and a confidence about the future into our lives. He wants us to know more of that future that Almighty God had planned for us. We see this in the Gospels, elsewhere in the Gospels, in his encounter with that woman brought before him, caught as the accusation was in the very act of adultery. It was an extraordinary moment in the ministry of Jesus, gathered around him with these angry, self-righteous people on the floor before him, thrown down, was this woman who was accused by these angry, self-righteous men of the adultery that she had been committing. The Lord Jesus said nothing for a while. Let everything calm down as he listened to the promptings of his heavenly father. And then he looked round at these men and said, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. And the gospels record that one by one, these men disappeared. And to the woman, he said very gently, go and sin no more. That is the model of the way in which the Lord Jesus encounters us and engages with us when we come to him in, with our failures. Not that he condemns us, not that he joins in a chorus of criticism, but simply says, go and sin no more. And you and I are called to a humility about our own failures and, in, and, in, and an increasing determination to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the vision that Jesus wants to lay before us today, a vision of capturing again uh, uh, an experience of who God has called us to be and the quality of relationship that he wants us to enjoy with others. We see vision, but we also see realism. In verses 27 to 30, Jesus talks about adultery and calls people to a greater holiness of life. Let me read again uh, verses 27 and 28. You've heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. He wasn't simply telling people about what they shouldn't do, but encouraging them to a mental and spiritual alertness so that they recognize that the way they had begun to think was wrong and had almost inevitable consequences unless they did something about it. Jesus underlined this when he said, don't look at someone lustfully. The word literally means don't look at someone in a way that desires them. It's a word that's always used in the scriptures in relation to something that's forbidden. Jesus is utterly unequivocal in what he says. And certainly he says don't look at a woman 
in this way. And the word translated woman in our Bibles is almost always used to describe a woman who is married, a woman who is someone's wife. Don't even think about the possibility, he says, of an illicit relationship. Seek the help of the Holy Spirit to guard your mind and your thoughts. Recognize how destructive it could be to give in to this temptation and realize too the impact that it would inevitably have on innocent parties. We need to be those who are increasingly spiritually and mentally alert. It's very hard because most of us lead busy and complicated lives. Most of us have dislocated experiences in our lives. We often feel tired, drained, distracted, under pressure. But Jesus says, with my help, you can be spiritually and mentally alert. And that is the foundation for resisting temptation. Then using a typical teaching advice of the time, Jesus calls them to take clear and decisive action, to walk away, as it were, from the place of temptation. It will take spiritual uh, and social determination. It will be very hard at the time, so I'm just not going to go there. I'm not even going to think about this particular temptation. But Jesus is clear that in the long term, we'll be glad that we acted in such a way. Avoid situations. Do something else. Pray. Get involved with someone else so that your mind is taken off the temptation that you are facing. See the Lord Jesus being immensely practical at every point in this teaching. But having spoken about adultery, Jesus then goes to teach about divorce. And this is a subject that causes many, Christians included, deep sadness, mental pain, and terrible guilt. Most of us will have experienced uh, divorce among family and friends. We'll have wondered what to say, how to react, how to give support and to whom. We'll have been anxious that people will feel we're criticizing or condemning them. Anxious that we're being tactless in some way. We may even, among all of us who are here this morning, some of us who have been divorced and have felt judged by others, perhaps particularly other Christians with whom we've been close before that. And it's clear that Jesus doesn't want to add to any pain that will already have been felt. But 2,000 years ago, he was challenging what was then an increasingly common practice, whereby men were divorcing their wives for the most frivolous of reasons. 
contemporary writings of the time speak of wives being thrown out of their house because they burnt their husband's dinner. There had been a terrible deterioration in relationships between husbands and wives and in the way that marriage was increasingly not held in honour. And so Jesus begins, as we read in verse 31, by insisting that a man who decided to divorce his wife must give her a certificate of divorce in accordance with the law of Moses. Now for us, this seems simply like a a compliance requirement, a tick box exercise, but it was very different for the people of the time. For only with this certificate, only with the appropriate paperwork, would a woman be free to get on with her life rather than being trapped in the past uh, by a marriage that had failed. A woman without a certificate of divorce was left without a home, without social structure, without self-respect, just cast adrift in life. And the Lord Jesus, reflecting the teaching in the book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament, wanted a woman to be free to marry again. Because in the first century, only in marriage could she begin to find a home, a supportive relationship, a future characterized by happiness, emotional fulfillment, human dignity, as well as economic security. But in the, Jesus cared about individuals and he knew what God's original intention had been and what his provision had been when things began to go wrong. But in the face of the frivolous divorces of the time, In verse 32, Jesus was clear that divorce was only permissible when the covenant relationship at the heart of marriage had broken down, and that usually happened because of marital unfaithfulness. We all know, don't we, of instances where one partner in a marriage is so deeply wronged the other, so clearly betrayed them, that the marriage it's, that the marriage would find that they would find it almost impossible for that marriage to continue. And most of us would agree that divorce is the only realistic solution. Of course it may be less dramatic than feeling betrayed. It could be simply sometimes that the love that characterised the early years of a marriage has simply died. That the relationship that was so wonderful at first is no longer there. And Jesus very clearly understands those painful situations totally. It's only that that allows us to make sense of the apparently harsh nature of the second verse, second part 
and verse 32. It's not that he's giving here a prohibition on remarriage after divorce. As I said earlier, in Deuteronomy, we see very clearly remarriage was often the only way that a, that a divorced wife could survive. It was Jesus underlining that. But no marriage, because in a marriage, a husband and wife reflect God's unbreakable faithfulness to us. No marriage should be ended lightly. Every effort should be made by the couple, their wider family and their friends. Every prayer should be prayed for healing and restoration. The marriage vows in the, in, the, in the wedding service of the Church of England highlight that there'll be times in every marriage where a couple will have had to have worked particularly hard at their relationship. We mar marry for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. But also, uh, we, it's at times like that, the couples have to draw on the fruits of having nurtured their love in the good times so that they have the resources when times aren't so good. Jesus understands that it won't always be easy being married. Any married person needs to spend time nurturing their love in their marriage. Need to be realistic about the challenges they face, open with each other when they're finding things difficult. We see in these verses a, a vision and a realism that shot through all of them is the compassion which is at the heart of God and which is seen supremely in the cross of Jesus Christ. Whatever difficulties we face, whether it's in temptation or whether it's in with difficulties in our marriage, the compassionate Jesus wants to help by his Holy Spirit. He never gives up on us. He never wants us to feel that we're asking too much. He never wants us to wonder whether Jesus wants to hear from us again. He said, didn't he, St. John records it in his gospel, whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. And nothing has changed in the 2,000 years since he said that. And so as Christians, we need to ask again and again for the help of the Holy Spirit to reflect in our lives the vision that God has for us and turn to Jesus, knowing that he trusts us totally 
to make the effort that's required and turn to him when we need his help. So let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that you understand us and love us. We're so grateful for the encouragement of the vision that you've given us for our lives. We're so grateful that you never give up on us. And I pray for all of us, whatever our situation today, that you would fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit and deepen our relationship with you. And we ask that in the name of that same compassionate Jesus. Amen.